True believers, tis the season to gift yourself Marvel Unlimited. Right now, you can get a year of Marvel Unlimited for only $55. Don't miss this special offer. It's running only until the end of the year. With over 28,000 issues, Marvel Unlimited is the place to read your favorite Marvel stories all together. And new comics are available just three months after they're in stores. Go to marvel.com unlimited and use code YEARFOR55 at checkout. Automatic renewal and other terms apply. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Angelique Roche. And it's December! It's holiday season and it makes me very happy. And of course, because it's holiday season, we have a very festive episode for you today. And we're going to be celebrating the Marvel way. Let's get into it. So if you caught our interview with Allison Brie a few episodes ago, or if you've logged into Disney Plus lately, you'll know that Marvel 616 is out in the world. It's a new documentary series where each episode explores a different story in the Marvel Universe. Look, I love every single episode of Marvel 616. It is a thing near and dear to my heart, but one of those episodes is even nearer and dearer to my heart, and it's called Unboxed, and it's the sixth episode in the series again first in my heart because it's about the relationship between comics and toys so i'm not a toy expert the way you are but i still loved this episode because we get to meet toy experts folks from hasbro and funko an expert photographer collectors and awesome people all around and the director for this episode is none other than sarah ramos who you might know from her acting career, including her role as Hattie Braverman on Parenthood. And you know what? I got to interview her for this episode, which was so cool. Angelique, as an avid collector, what was it like talking to Sarah? Oh man, it was incredible. Like honestly, toys bring people so much joy. And she really told me what it was like to get to know the world of toys, which has grown in so many ways in the past few years. For every character, there's like 700 different iterations of that character. And every person we talked to spoke to that. And directing this episode made her think about toys in a new way. It harnesses something really tender and sweet and excited and hopeful in all of us. And that's what makes us fans and it connects us with it. Now when I see a toy, I think of that. Okay, this sounds awesome. Let's take a listen. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. How are you? I am excited that you were here and you, you've done so many things. You've acted, you've directed, you, you're funny, you're serious. You've now done a 616 doc. Like, what led you into the work you're doing now? And why did you decide to be a storyteller in this way? Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like people say you shouldn't, you know, go into work in Hollywood unless you absolutely have to. Like, you feel it in your bones and I definitely felt like I had to like I'm a fan through and through when I was a kid I went on a Mary-Kate and Ashley cruise 
I was that big of a fan. And after that, I was like, I need to start acting so I can be like the Olsen twins and not just be on one of their fans on this cruise. And I end up being on TV and continuing going with that thread, writing a script when I was 12 that nobody read for 15 years, (laughs) and then producing it myself when I was 25 and getting into writing and directing, which I always wanted to do, but acting was the more visible option, especially for me as a, a woman. And getting into writing and directing, which I'd always been doing through that kind of back door. So I have to ask, what does a Mary-Kate and <laughs> Ashley Olsen cruise, like what, what does that, how does that go? What does that include? I feel like there's a lot of, you got it dudes, but I, I, I want some clarification. Okay, well, first of all, I'll just acknowledge for myself, I'm setting myself up really weirdly. I'm like the girl who went on the American Ashley cruise. But they were older. They were older than you got it dude vibes. They were like teenage girls and starring in their own straight to VHS movies at the time, which I was a devotee of. Throw it in my VHS player, throw it in my separate VHS rewinder. <laughs> I remember that because if you would have to sometimes take it out, put it in, rewind it, put it back in. This is this is before uh, VHS has got more quote unquote advanced. Before the player could also rewind. Yeah, things evolved. You know what else evolves? People's career. Uh, <laughs> and I love the fact that you talked about. You know, you wrote this script at 12, you produced it yourself at 25. What does that transition look like for you as someone in front of the camera into doing this work as director? And like, what do you like the most about being a director? Because that is, um, that's a lot of time investment there and, <laughs> and a lot of work to kind of bring together that story in that way. Oh my God, it's so much time, so much time. As a director, I really love, you know, getting to tell the story. Like as an actor, you're really a part of somebody else's story and you get to tell that character and be a part of a bigger story. But what I didn't necessarily realize growing up was like I had a really strong perspective because I was such a big fan. And that kind of enthusiasm um, was something that I could harness and put into my work as a storyteller so like with the script I wrote when I was 12 called City Girl which I produced when I was 25 without changing any word of dialogue or anything I produced it to make it look like what my 12 year old self would have wanted it to look like like really took seriously my 12 year old vision aka the set was all pink pink toaster pink we filmed it in this like pink palace is what it was called eating Pop-Tarts and wearing like feather boas and whatever early 2000s trends I fantasized about engaging with at the time, it was like kind of too shy. I really brought that to the forefront. And that's kind of something, you know, oh, another director might have determined was tacky, huh? Not tasteful enough for a project. But in my project that I was directing, that could be, the entire vibe so that's what I love about directing in general and I feel like with 616 and Marvel I really followed that through line because in my episode about toys 
we link it back to these guys' childhoods. Like we get into the fan brain, the fan POV of all of these creators and toy makers and toy designers who work at the biggest toy companies in the world at Hasbro and Funko and Marvel and Lego. Like I get to use my POV and my lens to say they're just like me on the Mary-Kate and Ashley cruise. But for them, it was about Wolverine. And I love that, right? Because one of the things that I love about the 616 docs is that it's a doc with the undock feel, if that makes sense. Like it's it's this feeling that you're learning, but not in this stereotypical documentary way that really brings people in and engages them on a level that resonates with them, which I love about how you're talking about their childhoods. Do you feel like that work that you did on that first piece at 25 that you wrote at 12 really shaped your approach on directing this episode and telling the story? from this angle and then how were you able to like bring all of that together in the end? Well, I think that's why Supper Club asked me to do this episode because they were like, oh, this is about toys and being a kid at heart and who do we know who is obsessed with being a kid at heart? Why not Sarah? So I think that's what led me to this opportunity, which is like, bigger than what I ever imagined when I was like, oh, why don't I direct something I wrote when I was 12? I was never like, this is going to lead to me directing an episode of a Marvel docu-series. But when you follow what brings you joy, sometimes it leads you to amazing things. And that's how I got here. My kind of follow-up question is that like toys, collectibles, figurines, models, action figures, all of these words, which to be very clear, for people who collect these things are very important terms. For a lot of people, these are more than just toys, right? They are they are things that they know and love. Like for folks who know me, I don't take my Funkos out of a box. And huh. people are like, wait, what? And I was like, they're all still in the box. They don't come out. I, I, I Because to me, they're collectibles. They're not toys. I don't play with them. They're for display. There's so much there. And I imagine you learn some new things about the world and our favorite collectibles. Is there anything you feel like you learned that was the most fun or the most interesting or like, wow, I just, I never knew that was a thing? Absolutely. I learned so much about the toy, I'll just use that phrase, world in general, but One thing I learned about was toy photography, and I really wanted to bring a layer into the documentary that wasn't about like one of those employees of those amazing companies and bring somebody who was kind of independently a part of this massive community. Say more about toy photography. Yes. So when I was doing research, somehow I got, I was all over the internet, I was digging in deep and finding these photos of dioramas where there are all these websites on the internet where you can buy dioramas that are amazing. Like they're works of art of themselves and they look like it could be a cityscape. It could be the roof of an apartment building. Mm -hmm. It could be like a forest. Like there are these intricate kind of dioramas that 
are backdrops for toy photography. Like they are basically like bringing a comic book into a 3D setting where you can pose your action figures. Wow. Well, you know what? You just made me remember Hasbro does one of those every single year for uh, San Diego Comic-Con. I believe they do it from New York Comic-Con, but the ones I always get a chance to actually see and like break away from the booth is at San Diego and they are incredible. So there are people who then take photos of these? Yes, so there are companies that make the dioramas, but what I found when researching that is that there are people and communities all over the country and most likely the world who professionally photograph. I mean, not their professional quality, but it's not necessarily their profession. It's like a a beloved hobby where they take these really intricate, elaborate photos of action figures where you're like, what am I looking at? Am I looking at a comic book? Am I looking at like a movie still? And it's like a Hasbro Marvel Legends figure that's like posed just so. And I was like, we have to interview and follow one of these photographers and we found this guy Mitchell Wu who was very talented and he was being featured at New York Toy Fair which is kind of like the culmination of the whole episode we go to New York Toy Fair it's just it's mine like I learned about the world of toy photography which is insane I feel like I would have I would just be distracted. I would just continuously see shiny things that I want to play with. Like I was at a friend's house the other day who's a prop master and he had a Captain America shield that he made. And I was like, but I have a place for it. Can I have it? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, so now I have a Captain America shield in my house. Like I would never get any work done. (laughs) Wait, where is your Captain America shield? There it is. There she is. Because we, when we were filming at Hasbro, I would always want to decorate everything with you know, as much toy stuff as possible. We got a lot of Captain America shields in there. So one of the cool things about collectibles and toys, right, is that, you know, for comic book fans, this is sometimes a way to honor a certain artist or honor a certain costume or it's attached to a certain story arc. Like, there's a lot of detail you have to capture here. Like, What was it like to try to capture all of those little small nuances throughout the show? Well, for every character, there's like 700 different iterations of that character. And every person we talked to spoke to that. And we had like an artist who drew these control drawings basically before our technology was up to to grade, like she would physically draw these 3D renderings of a toy, like of a character, so you would know how to bring it into toy form. And she would say, you know, I've done like, you know, 100 Marvel characters, but I've done probably 700 iterations of those Marvel characters. I mean, I'm, I'm estimating, but it was like she knows these characters and she would go through the Marvel Universe handbook, which the detail is mind boggling. And it tells you like, you know, this little button could be essential for like when they're in space, you know, they got to hit that button. So you can't miss these details. But we definitely got involved with some very extreme close-ups. We saw some hand painting of models. We focused on the 
hand painting of the Hasbro figure um, Cyborg Spider-Man and got to see all of that come to life. And then let's see, like at Funko, I mean, Funko is kind of taking that even to the next level of like, there are different iterations of these characters. Yeah, well, and I think people forget that Funko is like a whole, like there are professional sculptors and 3D artists and painters. Like there are so many different types of model artists that go into these different iterations from this different movie in this different story arc, right? Like I have three Funko Storms back here. Like they're all from different iterations. What's the difference in them? Yeah. So I've got the original Storm costume, uh, the white, which is gorgeous, and I love it. And she's got the full head of hair. I've got uh, a later Storm that's like just a Storm that I love, know, and love. And then I've got Storm with a mohawk because she is very near mm. and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very near and dear to my heart. And I have another Storm collectible that has the mohawk where she's kind of flying and another original Storm figurine. I like Storm a lot. I also like Valkyrie a lot. So I have I have three Valkyries. I think Funko really does do such a good job in understanding fans love these very particular details. They go to the next level. Like what we saw them doing, they were doing Venomized. Everyone was Venomized. And then they're doing like everyone is zombified. So you're like, well, now there's no limit. <laughs> None at all. Have you, is, did they do Venomized Storm? Hmm, you would get that, wouldn't you? I would. I would in a heartbeat. Yeah. I would. Yeah. There's a couple of characters that I honestly do have multiple Funkos of, including Black Panther. Um, mm. And my family sometimes gets them for me because they don't, they don't know really, they don't really know what I have and don't have, which is great. So for you, like, what was the most surprising thing you learned? Like, was there anything you were like, oh, my God, I never would have thought that thing. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, I was pretty surprised by the existence of toy photography, the toy photography community, and how thriving it is. And Hasbro also does a lot of toy photography. They have a full diorama situation, which is insanely impressive. And you're like, oh, can you whip something up for us? And they're like, sure, here's an intergalactic like spacescape with the fog and boulders and stuff. Like I was like, whoa, these people <laughs> are creative and they have resources and they are determined and that's amazing. So I was surprised by that. I was surprised that Funko has... I probably shouldn't have been surprised by this, but I was surprised that Funko has a slide in their office. They have multiple slides. Yeah, like next to the stairs. At any time next to the stairs, you can just hop on that slide. I guess at Toy Fair, New York Toy Fair, which is a huge convention for people in the toy industry and fans, like just how many outside of our main companies that we featured, how many toy companies make marvel products or have marvel licenses like it was i'm speechless in all of that and in all of the learnings do you feel like you grew as a director in the process of working on this doc and you you learned some new you know tricks of the trade that you will bring forward 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd never done a documentary before. So this was like definitely a learning curve. And I was editing entirely remotely during COVID, which I had never done before either, which was wild and learning how to be overly communicative via email and not be in the edit room with the editor every single day and have to be giving notes, you know, a day later, slowing down the process. We did a whole toy shoot remotely where we wanted to get all these inserts where we were always planning to do that, but we didn't know it was going to be a COVID situation. And so I sat at my computer watching as my DP shot all these gorgeous, um, you know, we did some zooms and we had these toys they were these action figures they were spinning on that turntable we were lighting them from multiple sides we had some color we had some glamour light and it was all done super remotely and thanks to supper club and marvel like that was actually possible i love that because it really shows how creativity shines through right like understanding how you're able to work differently in that process. And and as a person who has immensely been in the editing process, like over someone's shoulder, like I absolutely 100% get it in this new, this new world. I'm also curious, did you have a favorite Marvel toy that you came across in the process? Like anything like you're like, oh no, nah, I gotta get this after this is over. I mean, I liked a lot of them. I am probably partial to the Funko Science of Cute that kind of of situation but I would say my favorite was probably Squirrel Girl you know we need more Squirrel Girl in the world Doreen Green is a treasure more more Squirrel Girl more tippy toe because let's be real Squirrel Girl is great Doreen is amazing but it's really about tippy toe and the bow yes yes do you feel like Directing this episode changed how you thought about toys and their connection to fandom. Like just thinking about that whole concept, we were like 700 iterations of characters, right? Going into this process of getting this right. Absolutely. Like a hundred thousand percent. Like I might've, I would not really have given toys much thought before this. And now I've seen like, so many different levels of people and artists and business people and comic book artists and sculptors, 3D printers. Like it's such a process to even make a toy, an action figure, and so much thought has gone into it. I definitely have a massively new respect for these action figures these little pieces of plastic as they say and you know it's look at your toy collection like that is the power of it like it harnesses something really tender and sweet and excited and hopeful in all of us and that's what makes us fans and it connects us with it and that's what I feel like now when I see a toy I think of that. I love it. So are there any other standout moments? Are there any other moments that you're like, oh, if only you knew what went in behind making this that stand out to you from the episode? Hmm. I think I haven't really mentioned Joanne McLaughlin and Jesse Falcon, who are 
basically the mommy and daddy (laughs) of the Marvel toy universe. And we interview them. And I mean, Jesse in particular speaks to that kind of homemade, homegrown idea I was talking about. He literally says that he would make toys. He said he would, oh my God, when he said this, I fully died. He said he would cut out characters from his comic books before they had toys when he was a kid and he would play with the pieces of paper. And then he graduated from that to like making his own makeshift toys. So like it's in his bones. Like he is all in and you can see that he's literally grown up with and has been with Marvel toys his entire life. So I love getting to see that. It's like on the one hand, they're so casual about what they're saying. And on the other, they take it so seriously and know that they have such like influence and power via like a Spider-Man shooter toy. One of my favorite things is uh, every time Jesse comes to the booth, he brings toys with him. And then the whole segment is just us playing with Hulk gloves that, you know, say smash or sound like you're making a smashing sound. Um, His love for bringing those toys to life and like the nuances of it is just absolutely incredible. And again, always he brings toys with him. So like, when are you ever going to be upset to see Jesse show up with a box of toys? I know, but at the same time, it's so funny because at Toy Fair, you're like watching them walk around and everybody's like, Jesse, Joanne, come over here, come over here. And they're like, oh, hello. Like they're rock stars in the princess wave. Yeah, they're big men on campus. I love it. I love it. Well, I am really excited for your episode. Um, is there anything you're most excited for fans to see in the episode? You know, I hope fans are ready to open their hearts, crawl back into their childhood bedrooms that live in their chests and and play and have fun it i mean that i i still live in my childhood bedroom so no you no i don't LA. i don't i you brought, brought my childhood with, with me okay so based on that i have a question for you which i did ask every subject that we interviewed for the documentary um what do you think your childhood self would say if she could see what you do for a living now. Oh man. My childhood self be like, yo, that's a job? Really? I could just talk about stories and Marvel and superheroes all day? That's not a job. (laughs) Whatever. But really it's a job. Like that, that would be me. We love to see it. And your childhood self was saying, this is too good to be true. So I just love to be reminded of that when I'm like complaining about some some stuff in my life. It's like my childhood self would be like, I can't even believe that something this amazing could be possible. I think that's what Jesse does every morning. He wakes up and he goes, I did it right. <laughs> and it's contagious. Thanks again to Sarah Ramos for that super fun conversation. To keep up with what she's doing, you can follow her on Instagram at Sarah E. Ramos or on Twitter at Sarah Ramos. 
And you can watch Marvel 616 whenever you want. It's streaming now on Disney+. Plus. The episode Sarah directed, Unboxed, is the sixth one in the series, but they are all just fascinating and incredible. I love the fact, so we were talking to Sarah Amos, not Sarah Ramos, <laughs> who works at New Media, and she actually offered out to people in our last panel that we did for the 92nd Street Y to create actual like curated list of the order people based upon their personality should watch the episodes in which I think is so cool because when it comes to Marvel 616 like you can watch it in whatever order you want that's really awesome I hadn't thought about that but yeah like as we talked about on our spotlight episode I'm a huge theater nerd so I was just weeping five minutes into that episode and it really makes sense that people could either jump straight into the episode that is closest to their fandom heart or you know they can save that for the very very last and it all depends on what kind of fan you are do you want to go straight in or do you want to you know wait for it save it for the end which is really cool because that came out because we were interviewing the director of that episode which by the way bald bald the entire episode like I cried my (laughs) eyes out all of us are former drama club folks and Mm -hmm. so like it's like we under like that moment and uh, no spoilers but there's a moment where all the kids run to the casting list yeah and like I was just like I remember that moment I know how that feels (laughs) and Sarah was like watch it at the end she's like don't watch it first Yeah. One of the things that I also love about Marvel 616, in a very interesting way, watching the episodes for me really actually got me into the holiday spirit. Maybe it's the toys. Maybe it's the toys that I wanted. Maybe I wanted all of you to send me toys as presents. I don't know. I'm sure it's Um, all those things. I'm putting a bet on all those things. (laughs) You know me so well. But since we are keeping up with a tradition here at Women of Marvel, we wanted to share some of our own Marvel gift picks for the season. And it's not too late to pick up some last minute gifts and send them to Angelique or to your friends. We will link to all of these on Marvel.com so that you can see our picks. I really enjoy that you put it on the spot that I am taking all Marvel gifts. And <laughs> honestly, uh, there are a couple that, I, that I'm that i very excited about. Uh, two in particular. One I already own, so please don't send it. But the other one, primo for anyone who, one, loves ugly sweaters, two, loves Marvel, three, loves Spider-Man, and all of the above, which is Marvel Spider-Man Happy Holidays Ugly Christmas Sweatshirt. It's so good it comes in three colors and you can get it on amazon right now and then the other one is my favorite which is a spider-man bomber jacket which is from her universe so cute lightweight red and blue it's everything you always wanted because as we all know we can all be spider-man but ellie what are your picks well i also went shopping on her universe and uh, I have to say the Loki heel booties really are something I would love to have in my closet and I'm sure there are many others like me out there who have a bit of a you know villain preference to them and don't mind the fact that sometimes wearing heels is a delightful thing. 
I also on shopdisney.com was eyeing the Black Widow dress, which is Ooh. just gorgeous. It's a fit and flare dress. It has the hourglass symbol kind of up at the collar. It's stunning. And I would wear it to any convention. But we're supposed to be shopping for other people. So I will also say that for anyone who has kids in their life, there are several little golden books that you can find on Amazon.com featuring characters like the Falcon, Black Widow, Miles Morales. It is never too early to get kids into loving these characters. All right, you make a really good point, Ellie. You're right. We should be buying things for other people. Tis the season to give. Uh, so in that vein, I do have a couple books that I've actually bought for my nieces and nephews. Yes, I might have bought a copy for myself too. Just judge me if you want. But Brittany Morris's book, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Wings of Fury, um, is really dope because she was also on the show talking about the book. I might have bought several copies and sent them to all of my seven nieces and nephews because everyone should read them as well as I pre-ordered a new book that's coming out next year by Justin R. Reynolds which is Miles Morales Shockwaves which is a graphic novel very excited about that Justin Reynolds not to be confused with Jason Reynolds who wrote the first <laughs> Spider-Man YA novel which you should also get because it's great as well as Avengers Assembly which is out right now by our dear friend of Women of Marvel and just as a dear friend of mine Preeti Chibber uh, it's such a fun fun book if you read her journal for Spider-Man Far From Home which was really amazing it was the official companion to the book you will absolutely absolutely love this book and if you want to assemble your own set of Avengers in your house to kill some time with the people you have been spending so much time with in your house lately, we have a Marvel Monopoly set for you that was made in honor of our 80th anniversary last year. And it comes to you from Hasbro. So you can gather up your family, your friends who live in your house, whoever, and have a wonderful time buying and selling the Marvel Universe. So for those of you who like board games, dope. You should do that and you should play with your friends. But those of you who are like, but what about video games? Well, there just so happens to be this dope game called Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales that's out right now. I'm in my my new game plus. I've already finished the game. I'm playing it again. There's a new suit they gave me when I decided to play it again. Like it's I everybody knows how much I'm geeking out of this game. If you follow me, if you've heard me on here, like I'm totally excited about that. But you know what, Ellie, all this talk is now making me hungry. Um, and I really feel like we should not leave out the fact that the holiday season is a time to eat and share food. Absolutely. People. We need those festive snacks. And if you want to go about that the Marvel way, fortunately, we have the Marvel Eat the Universe cookbook. It's gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. The recipes are delicious, but also just really fun and exciting. And to, you know, kind of marvelize the rest of your kitchen. How would you go about that, Angelique? I'm going to use that word. I love Marvelize. It makes me so happy. So I love the cookbook. I've already given a cookbook to people in my family. And so now I'm stepping my game up because I'm going to get some of the dope stuff that goes with the cookbook. Because it's one thing to like just have that cookbook and make these delicious meals. It is another thing 
when you go out and you buy the gingerbread hero's apron and you dress in the apron, which is adorable. Like it, I have never seen our heroes look so adorable than as gingermen, ginger people, ginger gingerbread people. Ginger I think folks. we'll go with that. Ginger folks, yes, as ginger folks on this apron. It's so adorable. But there's also a number of aprons. Um, they're exclusively from Box Lunch, so you should check it out site-wide. There's some really cool aprons. And also something I've been eyeing for several months, this really, really dope Eat the Universe 7 Quart Slow Cooker. And if you know anything about Justin Warner, one of our fellow co-hosts and colleagues over here at Marvel, but also professional chef, he loves a good slow cooker recipe. And there's just so many fun things in the cookbook that correlate together with that awesome, awesome piece you can get for your kitchen. So you can be a real superhero in the kitchen with your apron superhero outfit, your gadgets, allowing you to do fantastic things. Dare I say chef's kiss. Oh, man. So make sure you're checking out our show notes for the links to see all of these gift options and a bunch more from the Marvel team. And if you bought a Marvel gift that you loved, tweet us a pic at Marvel using the hashtag Women of Marvel. And happy holidays from all of us. Until next time, this is Marvel. Your universe. Wound of Marvel is produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg, along with me, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Rocher. Our development manager is Kieran Heffa, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Sarah Ramos.